Hello and welcome to another episode of Are You Fucking Shitting Me? This is Rachel. And I'm April. How you doing, April? Good. How are you doing? You know, living the dream in the middle of a <laughs> nine-day work week. <laughs> yeah, that's the dream, all right. But I'm all right. I'm pretty excited to see you. It's been a while. You've been out of town. Uh, for one day. <laughs> is it really only one day? <laughs> yeah. Why have I not seen you for longer than that? Uh, you've been working and I've been working. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah. We work too much. We need to just work on this. That'd uh, be fun. Yeah. There's the dream. <laughs> that That is the true dream. So we're continuing on with our Halloween episode. Our guest is hilarious. I had to ask him zero questions because <laughs> this is his area of expertise. His name is Paul A. Trout. He's the author of the book Deadly Powers. And normally when we reach out to ask someone, we send an email letting them know that we'd, you know, be happy to give them questions beforehand or anything. And this is the response I got. Yes, I'd be fucking willing to take part. But what is it with the fucking questions? Don't you want me to fucking wing it? As you can see, I'm getting into the spirit of the thing. All the best. And I'm not shitting you. PT. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. That is the best response letter we've gotten. He's so funny. So I guess we should just jump into it. I can't wait to hear him. Here we go. I'm Paul Trout, and I am now retired. I believe I once taught in higher education, but that life is so far gone, I scarcely think of it. So uh, I'm right now devoting myself to writing nonfiction and a couple of fiction projects. I'm eager to talk also about one of my first book called Deadly Powers, Animal Predators in the Mythic Imagination, because that will provide a context for understanding our continual uh, interest in obsession with monsters of one kind or another. And of course, it's perfect for the season, a Halloween, uh, just about just around the corner. So um, this, is a, this is a good time to talk about these obsessions and these interests. Uh, but I don't think we can really understand them unless we put them in a much larger and longer context. And that context, for me, begins two million years ago when we were evolving uh, in the savannas of Africa. We were a very innocuous creature at that time. The skeleton of Lucy will give us a good idea of what we must have looked like at that time. She's a little older, but pretty close to that. About four feet high, uh, unmuscled no claws, no sharp teeth, and more importantly, no weapons. The thrusting spear was probably a million years in the future. The bow and arrow, almost two million years. They, that would, they were invented only in 13,000 years ago. So we had really no weapons. And to make matters worse for us, we were trying to survive at a time when there were a million carnivores, the landscape was filled with all kinds of feline predators, from saber-toothed tigers to cave lions. The cave lions were a third larger than the lion today. The leopard was probably one of the most 
efficient killers of our very distant ancestors. Then we had uh, monstrous alligators and crocodiles and pythons. We've discovered some of the skeletons of these creatures. They were 60 feet long, immense, immense length, and all kinds of birds of prey. So we were trying, and I say we because I feel a kinship with my very ancient ancestors who managed to make the right choices so that you and I could be talking here today. So our ancestors, we as a species, uh, had quite a difficult time uh, to survive in this context. And we could only do it by, uh, well, we didn't do it. Nature did it for us, but we cooperated with the right decision-making. We evolved a, a survival toolkit, one might say. First of all, we had to be very attentive to the animals that could kill us, so we developed a predator detection system. And this will come into play when I talk about monsters in, in Hollywood movies. So we had a predator detection system, and that means we uh, had to recognize certain features of the predator face in particular and know that they meant uh, bad news for us. Those features are, of course, staring eyes, an open mouth, a lolling tongue, a set of sharp teeth, and then added to that certain kinds of motions that the animal might take. If they were looking at us, we were in danger. If they were walking away, we may not be. But we had to develop a very sharp sense of what was going to kill us. And these I call triggers of fear. When we saw these, when our ancestors saw these, they had a certain reaction. They had to have this reaction. They didn't have the reaction. They were goners. So evolution put in our systems a, a quick response to these uh, signs of fear and signs of care and indeed signs of death. One of my amateur theories was vampires and chupacabras and werewolves being fabricated to keep the species alive, like keep, keep people close to home at night so that you stay close. But I didn't realize that it was so probably just down to our genes <laughs> that, that that fear has been around for so long. So I always thought it was a little bit more recent. Um, but yeah, well, I, I think, yeah, that's exactly right. You're exactly right. Your intuitions were exactly right. They were, these are social control mechanisms. I know that's a term that's often used negatively, but it's, it's the way we live. It's a social control mechanism uh, to protect um, the unwary, uh, particularly children in those. Just And also, think of yourself living in the black forest, in a hut, uh, where the next person who you may not even know is, is, is 10, 12 miles away, and anybody, uh, people who are uh, insane, people who have lost their job, people who are desperate, who are starving, can come up to your little hut and uh, have their way with you if they have a weapon. It's many fairy tales, uh, uh, Little Red Riding Hood and others, are um, meant to warn kids 
and they say, look, obey me. Listen to what I'm telling you. I'm 50. You're 12. Listen to what I'm telling you, because I know the dangers that lurk out there. And um, sure. And also, by the way, in, in case of the vampire, I mean, there are vampires. <laughs> that is, there are people who uh, have a, the psychological peculiarity of wanting to taste human blood. We have met several have confessed this. Uh, Jeffrey Dahmer was one. He confessed it. Uh, he was a, a actual uh, vampire and a, and a cannibal. Um, the the case of werewolves. Werewolves probably stemmed from those strange cases of now almost never seen, but at one time probably more frequent of children, young people being born completely covered in hair. And that is a frightening thing for people who don't understand what you just said, you know, the genes. So um, when we saw these um, signs of menace, we were triggered into a sort of survival behavior. And that was the result of uh, the evolution of a very complex and sort of amazing system of chemical reactions in our system presided over by the amygdala in our brain that would make us either freeze or run, freeze or flight, or sometimes actually take more aggressive action in mobbing or in massing with our brethren and trying to uh, frighten off the predators. It must have worked well enough for us to be here talking today. But one can imagine an awful lot of very, uh, awful lot of our ancestors, Homo erectus and Astropithecus, being hauled off to caves and eaten by one kind of uh, animal or another during this time. And, and I think it's this, the evolution of this emotional kit this survival toolkit based on a fear reaction that explains why we're still obsessed with monsters and boogeymen and um, why we enjoy watching them perform their activities in in films and sometimes plays. I want to kind of emphasize uh, something about that fear reaction that evolved in our system, that it was a very powerful opioid reaction uh, with flooding us with endorphins of one kind or another to, in fact, strengthen our bodies, sharpen our eyesight, make us prepared to engage in sometimes what we might call now heroic action in defense of ourselves and our loved ones, our children, and our spouses at the time. I'm making it quite modern when I talk about them this way, our mates probably in those days. But at any rate, we did have to protect our, our the next generation or we wouldn't be here. So they did that. And over the long haul, we became somewhat addicted to them. They were intoxicating emotions that changed us, that made us stronger, that made us be able to jump up a tree or run uh, like hell to get get away or pick up a stick if that's all we had available and do what we could to defend ourselves. 
not much of a weapon, but perhaps the only thing they could resort to at the time. So what did the survivors feel after the predator was either took one of the group or or left <laughs> left the area. Well, they were left with a with with their bodies being filled with these energies, these powerful feelings. It might be fair to call the residual emotions uh, in uh, in these people as a result of these chemical reactions a sort of euphoria. I call it the euphoria of danger. It felt good to survive. That's that simple. It wasn't just that we were happy that we'd go on with our lives. It's that our bodies were tingling with these endorphins that just made us, almost intoxicated us with this euphoria. And we, over the long haul, got hooked on it. It was good that we got hooked on it. We needed to be hooked on it. That's what kept us alive. And those that survived passed on their capacity to feel these reactions. So we are the result of a long line of people who were, one, very afraid, and two, had developed a very keen chemical reaction to fear that gave them a sense of survival euphoria. I think you can see where I'm heading. Hollywood films are packing into theaters to watch monsters prey on humans, uh, to watch serial killers do their dirty work. Uh, but I'll come back to that. But I can see, you know, I want you to see where I'm heading with this because we are, I think, um, still, well, I, I, I know we are, we still have these emotions and this reaction in us. We have not undone the evolution of the Paleolithic. We have not had time. We've only been out of the Paleolithic, well, depending on your um, point of view and you know, how you're measuring it, um, let's say uh, 25,000 years. That's not a very long time when it comes to uh, evolution, evolutionary time. Evolutionary time, we're talking about millions and millions of years. Uh, I started it two million years ago because that's when we started to see the first real science of something we could call the human form. But we kind of got hooked on this, uh, on these feelings. They were good feelings to have and good feelings to enjoy after the uh, predator assault. The danger was over and we could grab each other and kiss each other and run about the place and jump up the tree and whatever else we did at the time because we survived, even though there may have been one or more of us taken in the attack. So what happened then to us over these uh, next uh, million years, uh, the second million years? Well, I believe that a form uh, of storytelling evolved in which these feelings raised in people by an a, a reenactment. We reenacted predator uh, assault, predator attacks in some way, a very rudimentary way, but in some way. And we did it to satisfy 
our longing, our appetite for the wonderful transformative feelings that we felt when a real predator attack, uh, and this, of course, leads then to uh, my theory that storytelling is sort of burdened with this task of rekindling these transformative and powerful emotions by triggering our fears. So, in some respect, I call storytelling a, a fear management device. And so, storytelling creates these horror scenarios which are designed to trigger the release of the uh, primal ravishing emotions that once were associated with actual predator attack. And we have other ways of doing it, not just through storytelling. We have celebrations uh, where, especially in Europe, where um, papier-mâché monster trundle down the street and people throw things at it and hit it with sticks, and the Chinese have developed their dragon ceremonies, and uh, there are many other uh, kinds of uh, more tribal ceremonies. Uh, For an example, even initiation ceremonies are based on the evocation of fear in young people uh, as a way of bonding them together to the tribe once and for all and testing their resolution, etc. Now, the experiences are necessarily uh, come to us if we feel them in a sort of diluted form. So in a theater, we don't run out of the theater screaming or uh, fade away. We actually enjoy being frightened. We like it. It feels good to us to be frightened. This is the rekindling of that uh, survival euphoria. We now want to enjoy, and I'm going to suggest even need to enjoy, uh, without the presence of actual predators in our midst. You know, we miss the predator. So we create them, and we create them in our stories and myths, movies, etc., etc. So what I'm kind of going to suggest here is that the phrase, you know, I was almost scared to death, and they were scaring me to death, is really um, wrong-headed. We are not scaring ourselves to death. We are scaring ourselves to life. It's alive. It's alive. It's alive. It's alive. Okay, so what do we do about, um, let's just say, Halloween, which is an older ritual than movie-going. So I'll start with Halloween. What is Halloween all about? When we think of it, we think of skeletons, skulls, same thing, white sheets for ghosts and goblins, and occasional witch dead entities of some kind, post-life forms, they might be called. They don't look like predators. They rarely have teeth or glaring eyes. In fact, usually the, the eye uh, holes are black and vacant, and even more frightening. Well, I think it's also because we have lost touch with how ghosts, 
goblins and particularly skeletons were once made or are made. We don't see skeletons. We don't see dead people anymore. We farm them off and they die someplace else and we go to a funeral and glance at them for a moment, but we don't live very close any longer and for good or for bad with the horrible existential fact of death and decay. So what I'm going to suggest here is that what we are looking at with these uh, manifestations of the Halloween ritual are people who have indeed gone through the ultimate predation. They have been killed by death itself. They have been consumed by the ultimate predator, and that is death. In the Middle Ages, they were aware of all this, and they depicted it in a reoccurring motif that can be found in probably thousands of paintings, and it's called Hell's Mouth. And it is indeed a huge mouth. That is one of the signals of a predator. It has teeth. Sometimes its tongue is acting as a... uh, entryway as sinners or sometimes just the dead are being consumed in its maw. These are the jaws of death. And of course, when I use the word jaws, it conjures up one of the most powerful and frightening, at least to me it was when I first saw it, um, monster. It really was a monster fiction. And the jaws and the jaws franchise. So we do see that even in these pale uh, examples of, of uh, in Halloween, these pale examples of predators, these are maybe not the predators, but they are the result of predation. And the fact that they still can haunt us is only there's a sign of our fear that the jaws of death, hell's mouth, wide open, is waiting to consume us as well. We fear being eaten alive, which is indeed what likely happened in many cases, and we fear disappearing. Um, So, uh, (laughs) what goes on here um, with our dressing up at Halloween? Uh, Certainly, there's, I think there's something having to do with our playing out our inner predator. Now, I use the word inner predator because I believe that one of the ways we survived the Paleolithic, I know it was, was because we not only watched for predators and ran from them and hid from them and occasionally fended them off, but because we internalized the predator. We watched them hunt, we watched them eat, and we watched them live with themselves. It was very much in a human way, taking care of young, playing with each other, bonding to some extent. We saw this. And I believe we developed predator envy. We wanted to become as potent, as secure, as dangerous, as powerful as the very creatures 
that had haunted us and were haunting us all this time. We know we did this because shamans dress as predators when they have some of their journeys. I know their their get-up, when you see it, sometimes looks completely... <laughs> Wow, that was a bad day there. But um, <laughs> they knew what they were doing with all these furs and all these things hanging from them. They were dressing as predators. The berserkers, you know, the famous berserkers in Gaul and uh, the Nordic countries, dressed in bear skins to increase their maniacal military emotions. The first Weapons we created that we could actually create in ourselves were based on the teeth of predators, sharp and long. I think that we get still a kick out of, and, and much more than just a kick, but a kick out of dressing up and imitating a predator. It gives us a sense of power. Now, this power can be bloodthirsty and over the top. In Africa, for hundreds of years, men dressed up as were-predators, W-E-R-E predators. The most documented one was the uh, leopard men. They would dress up as predators. They would clothe themselves in predator skins. They would use predator uh, claws on their hands, on their feet, and they would go out and kill people walking down trails as a predator would. It was a, a phenomenon that you would say, no, this can't be, but it's very well documented, and they weren't the only society of predator men. Whatever caused this was uh, difficult to go into and um, has been theorized, but that is probably the uh, maximum extent of um, looking and wanting to be a predator, wanting to be a predator, internalizing it. We actually, actually have people, according to an uh, uh, Animal Planet documentary from, I think, 2009, about people who are going undergoing surgery to become their favorite predator. They have uh, tails attached. This sounds like I'm, I'm on something this morning, but I am not. They have whiskers put in. They have their face tattooed, so they look have leopard marks or tiger face. Um, one of them I actually have quoted. Mentally, I do live life as a tiger. I'm not human. I am it. So we find it in myth. The Maya Papuvu talks about the same uh, group, the same kind of uh, intense identification with the predators in terms of dressing like them and acting like them. So I mentioned the berserkers, etc. So Halloween is a sort of pale <laughs> expression <laughs> of a very fundamental uh, desire to not just be the victim of predators, but to become the predator, to assume the power of the predator. So, let's go now to monster movies. Obviously, that they they thrill us. They're powerful. I am Dracula. I bid you welcome. 
we watched like probably a two million year old Paleolithic person watched Predator. We can't take our eyes off it. It's thrilling, it's exciting, it's scary. In most other Predator fictions, the hero survives. And of course, the audience, we always do. And when the hero survives, it it conjures up in us, again, a diluted form of survival ecstasy. We're happy. It's a happy ending. We're happy. The happiness comes from two million year old survival chemistry. And predator fictions also empower us. We identify with the hero. We are able to identify and react and feel and connect and enjoy because of a two-million-year-old hormonal inheritance. Now, in some predator fictions, and perhaps during Halloween, we sometimes identify not with the hero, but we identify with the predator itself. I think some people do at any rate. With such uh, notorious predators as the evil clown, all of these names I'm going to rattle off have masks and costumes. Evil Clown, Venom, capital V, Rattler, capital R, Unleashed Wickedness, that's one I don't know, Wolfman, that's really archaic, Vampire, that's another archaic one, Demon, Candyman, Hell Beast, here's one I really enjoyed coming across, Autopsy Ghoul, Screaming Corpse, of course, and then Freddy Krueger, Michael Myers, Jason. Now, okay, this all sort of clowning around. It's all sort of doing what shamans did and still do in maybe some cases. That is, wear scary masks to, again, thrill their tribal members, and sometimes initiate them into the mysteries of the tribe. Okay, that's maybe what we're doing here. But we also, there are also uh, available masks of John Wayne Gacy, the killer clown, the Yorkshire Ripper, uh, Jeffrey Dahmer, and Ted Bundy. What we see here is that sometimes this identification with the predator and the in, internalization, the desire to internalize the power of the predator can obviously, in, for some people and in some cases, become pathological, for want of a better word. But, and on a, a better, higher note, predator fictions also do something else for us. They alert us uh, to danger. And you say, well, wait a minute, we don't have any predators hanging around. Well, we do. But now they're human predators. They are conjuring up again just at least some aspects of the predator detection system that evolved in us two million years ago. And that's another reason why we like these stories, even though we're not quite sure that's not the way most of us would talk about them. But that's why we are compelled uh, to watch them. They are, again, uh, scaring us 
to life. That was awesome. Yeah, it was so much fun. Yeah, he's great. He was so funny, too, because he was laughing. There was a lot of macabre stuff in there, but he was laughing through it, which was great. I love that. So the idea that we evolved to have this fight or flight response, that we evolved to have fear, is completely fascinating. I just assume that we had fear since the beginning. But it makes sense, right? We're all Absolutely. crawling out of the sludge and have to gear up as we do. And we didn't gear up with claws. Yeah, I also didn't think about that. And by the way, I would be super dead. I would be frozen. My fear response is freeze or laugh. So. Oh, but maybe you would like, you know, you'd laugh and they'd be surprised. And then Perhaps. they might laugh with you, you know. Leopards with their great the sense of humor. tiger. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I would be showing my teeth if I was laughing. So maybe they think I was aggressive. Yeah, they might. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I don't you look cover. very aggressive when you laugh. It's true. I don't cover my my mouth when I laugh. God, that's a disgusting <laughs> thought. Who does that? <laughs> it's that like cutesy cartoon way to do it. Yuck. Boring. Like Sailor Moon or something. Yeah. I don't yeah. know if she does it. I don't want to no, disparage should. Sailor I'm Moon. sorry, Sailor. You're awesome. Um, yeah, it's also fun at scary films and I think I've probably talked about that when I get too scared I laugh my ass off and that's just kind of crushes the mood of the scary I thought that was fascinating also the idea that your survival creates this elation Mm -hmm. and so when we go to see scary movies and we like to be scared it's because we like that feeling of I survived this at the end. Yeah, that euphoria. Th- that blew my mind. You know, and I've I've totally got that when I was kind of a daredevil and I'd go bungee jumping and skydiving and, you know, do zero gravity when I was taking flight lessons. I was like, ooh, this is going to be fun. I'm going to, you know, cut the engine out and see what's happening. I loved that feeling. So I did love flirting with death. But for some reason, I don't love predators where you do have a fascination with true crime stories. I do. I love true crime. Yeah. I also like Jaws. I like I like monsters. I like that kind of fear. Yeah. Um, but there's a part of me that likes it because I, since I was a kid, imagine rising up and kicking the shit out of whoever is chasing me or yeah, You identify me. with the victor. Yeah. This is going to sound super weird, but as a kid, we used to play concentration camp and we used to... Uh, I, mm, we're not just going <laughs> to roll right past that. Maybe I shouldn't bring it up at all. <laughs> That's not something that could just get said and not talked about. Well, we would kick the Nazis' asses. That's... Hey, no. that I like. Yeah, so that yeah. was that was the whole idea. We would be in a concentration camp and then we would kick we would rise up and fucking kick the shit out of the Nazis and save the rest of the world. You were mini Hogan's heroes but without the comedic. You were superpower Hogan's heroes. I was glorious bastards, you damn were, it. But that didn't exist when we were kids, but Hogan's no, heroes did. No, but that did. movie to me was like my <laughs> dream of like that's it. That's exactly what I've been imagining my entire childhood. Fan fucking tastic. <laughs> Never mind. We're keeping that in. I'm impressed. I don't like true crime at all. Real human predators scare me more than anything else. I do like monster movies, though. Like, I love the old Hollywood monster movies. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the way it feels and sounds and looks. Uh, it's not very scary, but 
it's so sound rich and visually rich that I get excited. Yeah. I did love my Ray Harryhausen and those were the my those were my monsters. Anyways, because they're more creatures. Ray Harryhausen, he does the stop motion features. Yeah, I don't know that. She's shaking her head for the for the listeners, you're not able to see this. <laughs> April is looking at me curiously and shaking her head. Watch the documentary. I think it's on um, Amazon the Ray Harryhausen documentary. It's all about Sinbad and the Seven Seas oh, and Jason and the Argonauts oh, yeah, yeah, and okay. all of the original creature movies. He's the one who created all the stop oh. motion. Oh, I love all of those. Yeah. Okay. He's a hero of mine. Sorry. I assumed everybody knows. If you guys don't Did know not... about Ray Harryhausen, run, don't walk. Yeah. I didn't know his name. I know his work, but I didn't know his name. Yeah. He's great. And the documentary is amazing, except for when James Cameron's talking because... He still makes it about James Cameron. I don't love horror movies anymore. I don't know. Some Somehow as I've gotten older, I think because I've had to deal with death, I now can't deal with horror movies quite as much. Mm-hmm. It's very difficult for me. But as a kid, I absolutely loved them. And I still do like psychological stuff. So anything that's like um, Rosemary's Baby or anything like yeah. that, I'll want to watch. I think we again. talked about that last week, mm-hmm. too. Like, Stepford Wives is awesome. Amazing. But that's yeah. a different kind of horror. It's not yeah. slasher. Right now, it's everything that we see is Saw, Saw 2. That's what we, I can't do those. I never saw Saw. You didn't want to see Saw? <laughs> I was really excited on a selfish level that my amateur theory was proven correct or at least that Paul agrees with me um because so emphatically too I was yeah. very impressed I was like "Ooh, score for this team it felt so great because <laughs> I've always thought that like these myths and I know you and I are gonna talk about some of the origins of some of the more popular monsters that we're familiar with but uh it was great to think yeah it was for survival of the species that's that's why these things were created in story form from Brothers Grimm, too. Like, not just our vampires, our werewolves, and our zombies, but the actual ogres and the darkness. Those stories are fucked up. They're crazy. I actually was just at a party this weekend for uh, my friend's little girl, and one of the moms was telling me at the Waldorf school that her kids went to that they read the real Grimm fairy tales and Hans Christian Andersen fairy tales, which Red. are spooky as fuck. Red. Killing I mean, it, we, Waldorf. Killing yeah, it. Exactly. Now let's go eat some ferns. That's what yeah. I did at the Waldorf school I went to <laughs> for one semester or one quarter. I do want to say before we move on to some stuff, one thing that kills me about Paul is his um, seems like a whole nother lifetime ago that I taught at higher education. He was teaching for 38 years and it's like he's just moved on to researching and writing about incredibly fascinating subjects and he also has a whole list of movies and books we should read which we'll put out on the website but more about that later perfect that sounds great but I do want to hear what you found out because you researched one of my favorites so part of what we were going to do with this episode also was bring to each other our favorite monsters Mm -hmm. so I wanted to tell you about my favorite monsters which are werewolves which Paul brought up a little bit. Mm-hmm. So when I was growing up, my favorite movies were The Howling. Did you ever see that? Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. And Teen Wolf and uh, A Werewolf in London, of course. Of course. Best yeah. of both worlds, comedy and horror. Yeah. I, think I mean, maybe Teen Wolf my... is so scary. <laughs> I... <laughs> Teen Wolf 2 is kind of scary. Bad job, Jason Bateman. Totally. <laughs> Okay, and then True Blood also. Did you watch True Blood? 
Uh, no, because I couldn't stand Anna Paquin's acting. Sorry, everyone. Is uh, that her I name? Think that's her name, and I don't think anyone could stand her acting. It started out so fun and hilarious mm-hmm. and scary. It was mm-hmm. pretty fucking scary. And there were some characters on there that were amazing. So um, I do agree. There were a couple characters that I loved. Yeah. And it was full of were creatures. But my favorite creature is the were panther. Yeah, Were so, Panther. That's what I would want. And we be. learned about Were Leopards. Yeah, the book series True Blood had Were Jaguars and all kinds of other things. So another word for werewolf is lycanthrope. Did you know that? I did know that. Okay, because yes. I'm a smarty pants. Well, I'm not a smarty pants. So am I? Am I pronouncing that right? <laughs> you are. Okay. So so they're shape shifting humans, mm-hmm. of course. And the craziest thing to me is that there are werewolf legends everywhere in the world. It's the oldest legend of human monsters in recorded history. Almost every culture seems to have some version of this creature. Oh. Yeah, amazing, right? Yeah. Um, Throughout history, there are documented cases of trials of accused or confessed werewolves. I guess I don't know why. I guess you would be on trial and then have to confess that you're a werewolf. Very similar to witch trials. Mm -hmm. And in fact, witches were often accused of being werewolves and werewolves were accused of being witches. What the fuck? Yeah. All right. I had no idea about that. Isn't that that. crazy? So it was, it's thought that the need to create these werewolf stories and then blame fellow humans for it had to do with the need to place blame on someone or something for dead livestock, unsolved murders, or other unexplained occurrences. Okay. And the oldest werewolf tale is an ancient Roman myth by Ovid, which is where the word lycanthrope came from. Uh, That checks out. Yeah. (laughs) He wrote the Metamorphosis in 1 AD. And in it, he told the tale of King Lycaon. Lycaon? Lycaon, I think. But I'm I'm not sure as confident or as cocky about that one. Okay. In it, he told the tale of King Lycaon. Lycaon or Lycaon, sorry about that, um, who offended the gods by serving human meat to them at dinner. So Jupiter then punished the king by transforming him into a werewolf so that in his werewolf form, he could continue eating human flesh with less offense. Okay, super interesting. <laughs> Crazy, right? And I'm going to right now jump in because this is where I will say what your husband has said to me many a times that... Um, when you don't know how to pronounce a word because you learned it from reading, that's okay because you learned it from reading. Thank you for that. That <laughs> makes me feel better. Yeah, <laughs> It's a sign of someone who's got a brain that wants to find stuff out. Yeah. Um, I should try to find out how to pronounce it. That should be next on the list. So after uh, 1 AD, the legend of the werewolf spread throughout Europe and Asia throughout the Middle Ages. In every legend, the look of the werewolf was different. They all had different characteristics, strengths, weaknesses, but there were two things that remained the same no matter what the story was. Werewolves were evil, and they liked human flesh. And then beyond this, it seems anything goes. Werewolf could be of either sex, could shapeshift permanently or intermittently. Some legends say that a werewolf would need the actual skin of a wolf to make the changeover. Others say that the skin of a hanged man would do the trick. It always does the trick for me. How are they getting this skin from a hanged man? I have no idea. (laughs) And other legends associate werewolves with a sort of belt or wolf girdle that upon putting it on would transform them. 
So uh, maybe we should go get some wolf girdles down at the old lingerie store. It's and, weird uh, because I'm pretty sure that they're the thing at Fashion Week this year. <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> okay, so then the association between a full moon and shape-shifting, that was not part of the original folklore. It came much later. Now, okay. The sites I read didn't know when it happened. Mm-hmm. Perhaps it didn't happen until movies had it happen, but that wasn't part of the ancient thing. They weren't able to pinpoint that down. Not, okay. not that I could find. There are several supposed cures that made the rounds, mm-hmm. how to get rid of a werewolf. Many involved complicated recipes, verses that one should recite to said werewolf, or in the 20th century, silver steak or a silver bullet. That's a cure? Because I thought that was a kill. No, I mean, I'm okay if that's yeah. the cure. Uh, I gotta eat my own silver bullet. <laughs> I don't know. Well, because then you die. Well, okay. I mean, to be fair, when I do see and I watch a lot of movies that are a little bit more comedic on these things, what <laughs> yeah. we do in the shadows, those kinds of things, uh, whenever you do ca- kill the werewolf, they turn back into a man. So I guess that's a sort of cure kill. Sometimes the cure kills. Um, Okay, so the legend's origins are also rooted in pagan Germany. The most honored warriors to ancient Germans were called Ulfhednar. Ulfhednar? Ah, Wolfhednar. Nice. (laughs) Thank you. These men were so savage and deadly, they were considered the wolves of the god Odin. They went into combat in a berserk rage, terrifying their foes with their sheer ferocity and wearing only a wolf pelt for protection. All right, so in 1521 in France, Pierre Bourgeau and Michel Verdun were executed as werewolves. Now, they were actually a serial killer team. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Whoa. Yeah, yeah, but they were executed as werewolves. I think that they... I'm not sad about that. No, not at all. In 1573, again in France, I guess that's where all the werewolves and serial killers were. Of course, uh, of course. Checks out. <laughs> exactly. So there was another werewolf executed. His name was Giles Garnier. Otherwise known as the werewolf of Dole. I guess he liked pineapples. Yeah, clearly. Yeah. Your, your detective work is strong. Spot on, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's me, P.I. He was a confessed serial killer, again. There are numerous accounts like this, mostly in Europe. I guess back then that's where all the serial killers were because that's where all the werewolves were. Joke's on you, (laughs) Europe. Now the serial killers are in America. We're crushing it on serial killers. (laughs) Absolutely. Canada too. And Australia has a pretty good uh, amount of serial killers. You would know. Mm -hmm. You would know. England has a few. (laughs) I would know. They're all werewolves. A more infamous case of werewolf execution is that of a German man made is that of a German man named Peter Stump. Stump was supposedly caught by his neighbors in his wolf form. They witnessed him taking off his wolf girdle, and they closed in on him, at which time he reassumed his human form. And then he confessed to murder, rape, and cannibalism, and his story is fucking horrible and much worse. And so, (laughs) listeners, you can look it up and find out more about Peter Stump if you're interested, because I don't want to go into all the gruesome details. Hard of this, pass. Of this piece of, piece of shit. <laughs> Werewolf. Uh, jumping across the uh, ocean. Um, there's a Native American story about a wolf man. He was saved by some wolves after his two wives tried to kill him because he was too boring. <laughs> Should we get rid of him? Yeah, guy fucking boring. <laughs> They thought if they got rid of him and killed him, then they could go back to their own families. His wives try to kill him by digging a big hole and throwing him in it. 
Okay. So he's stuck in this hole and he can't get out. So then these wolves find him. They save him. They call him their brother, and then they turn him into half wolf, half man, and he has the head of a wolf, and the rest of the body is a man. Oh. And he lives the rest of his boring life Like a life minotaur, but wolf style. <laughs> yeah. And then they, but is that still boring? Now he's a bit interesting, right? Ooh, mysterious. <laughs> Dep- depends on He's got who. a wolf head. Maybe I have changed my mind about him. <laughs> There's a certain allure. <laughs> So, so Freud also had a patient, one of his longest studies, he was given the pseudonym Wolfman because as a child, he dreamed about a tree full of white wolves. That's not, that's not a <laughs> werewolf story. Next. Maybe, maybe, maybe you need to throw me in a hole. Included, I've I dreamt was... the devil was chasing me down the street. It doesn't mean I I'm in hell. It's so fascinating that <laughs> Freud decided to call this guy the fucking Wolfman for such a dumb reason because he had this dream about wolves. He, he dreamed up... Penis envy, too, because he didn't want women to... Yes, well, he thought this guy had dreams about about these wolves and trees because he saw his parents having sex and it traumatized him. Yeah, Freud can suck my balls. <laughs> <laughs> he could suck mine, too. I'm going on record with that. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. So, see, leave that in. Okay, in the U.S. in the 40s, the Wolfman movie started... There's a great history of those films on Nerdist.com by Juliet Bennett Ryla. You can look that up. In 1941, Universal premiered The Wolfman starring Lon Chaney. And I just in- saw that on oh, a full screen where? at the Egyptian. Oh, that's awesome. And it was so fucking cool. That's awesome. So cool. And you didn't invite me. Or, oh, or you did know. you when I couldn't go? I think we did. I love Lon Chaney. Yeah. And then in 2010, Universal made a remake of The Wolfman with Benicio Del Toro. There was also the Jack Nicholson Wolfman one. Oh, God, that's right. Wolf. Oh, God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So I just want to end with this because I'm totally an idiot and maybe other people are as stupid as I am. I don't know. Probably not. But have you heard of Chupacabra? Oh, we brought that up earlier. Yeah. Right? It's one of it. my favorites. I love the Chupacabra. I always thought Chupacabra was a werewolf or maybe a bat man wolf mm. no, thing. It's goat sucker. Yeah. The word means goat sucker. So reports of Chupacabra started in 1995 in Puerto Rico after eight sheep were discovered dead with three puncture wounds and their blood drained. That's so recent. I didn't realize that yeah. it was when we were in college. Exactly. It's the newest monster. Oh, that's so Isn't cool. Isn't that amazing? The creature is supposed to look like a reptile. Mm. Three to four feet high. Mm. Not very tall. Can no, you just I knew they were it? little. Can't you just kick it out of the way? Well, not if it's going to eat you. I'm sorry. Three or four feet things are not going to get me. I'm going to stomp on that shit. Okay. If you had a honey badger coming at you, you could kick it, but it's still going to get you. My friend was attacked by a, a raccoon and it still got okay, her. Okay. You can be attacked by a raccoon. Also, I'm terrified of crocodiles and they're kind of short. But I do get it. Like little things. And four feet? That's not much shorter than us. So it's three to four feet high and it stands and hops like a kangaroo. And sometimes it looks like a hairless dog with bulging eyes, fangs, and claws. It sounds like since it's so new, it's they're Maybe still it's deciding what evolving. it looks like. I don't. Yeah, I don't know. All right, werewolves well, that's a and lot. Now you guys know everything you ever needed to know about werewolves. I just thought it was because sometimes humans were born with hair all over them. All right. Well, um, I'm going to keep mine short because I don't have as much as you. <laughs> Sorry, I went on and on. 
<laughs> it's good. Um, I was going to actually do zombies, but I'm supposed to, fingers crossed, speak with an expert on zombies this week. Um, and it has to do with Haiti and um, some stuff down there. And actually cool. some of the beliefs that I've been holding for a long time about zombies and the origin may be incorrect. So I'm really hoping I get to talk to her about that. In the meantime, I decided to look up one of my not favorite monsters instead so I could learn more about them and maybe fall in love with them. And they are vampires. Wait, so vampires are not one of your favorite? You, you like don't like vampires? They're not my favorite. I'm not saying I don't like them. I'm just saying they're not my favorite mythology and they're not my favorite lore. Uh, I would rather talk George Romero zombies that era. Um, nice. I not like speedy too. zombies, but the old timey. That said, I'm also kind of oversaturated with zombies. So it was fun to go down one of the monsters that's less in right now, now that Twilight's been a few years gone. I've got to say, I loved it. And it also first dates back to Greek mythology, which is great. Those right back Greeks. to the. I know, right? So um, apparently, it's the story of a young Italian man named Abrogio and his love, Selena. So Abrogio is super in love with this woman, Selena, and he asks her to marry him. And little does he suspect, but the jealous god Apollo wants her for his own. Ooh. Yeah. So Apollo curses Ambrosio and causes his skin to burn whenever it's exposed to sunlight. Point one of our vampire lore. Next thing we know, Ambrosio decides to turn to Hades, god of the death, and Artemis, god of the hunt. So we have two more of his strengths trying to... Um, make a pact with them so that he can become ever powerful and win Selena back. At some point, this asshole decides to steal Artemis's silver bow. I don't understand why you'd ever steal it from a god. Like, that just seems like borrowing trouble. Artemis then curses him with silver. So now silver burns his skin. Later, she, Artemis, takes pity on him, though, and gives him super strength, immortality, and fangs to kill beasts. So that's where our vampire gets fangs. And this is all laying out things that we see today. It's amazing. Wow, it yeah. all came from Greek mythology. Yeah, and then it's reinforced later. So, you know, Bram Stoker's Dracula, We everybody assumes it's Vlad the Impaler, Vlad Dracula. Dracula means son of Dracul. He was the second son of a Vlad Dracul. If I'm wrong about that, don't write in. I don't care. No, you can go <laughs> ahead and write in. <laughs> so anyways, it turns out um, Vlad the Impaler was only ruling on and off for about six years in the 15th century in Transylvania, in Romania. Um, wow. Yeah, I thought he would have been for a lot longer. And some historians say that he was actually pretty just as a ruler goes. But his favorite thing to do uh, was obviously impale people. So he would kill his enemies by impaling them on a wooden stake, which somehow that wooden stake now is used to kill vampires. And since Bram Stoker's Dracula is somehow related to Vlad the Impaler, that must have gotten flipped around because it was his way of killing. But now it's how you kill the Dracula. Interesting. Yeah, right? So legend has it that Vlad enjoyed dining amongst his dying victims and dipping his bread in their blood, which is where we get the blood drinking. No way to really know if those tales are true. There's just no way to know. Yuck. What's really interesting, though, is I think for me is the Middle Ages are when even though they came from Greek mythology, vampires were like the thing to blame people to be for. And usually it was about the plague. 
is the Black Plague left bloody lesions around people's mouths, so it looked like you'd been drinking blood. And um, when whole towns were annihilated, people would just say that a vampire came through and drank all the bodies. Interesting. Uh, yeah, right? And diseases were often blamed. It looks like there was another one called, it's a blood disorder, which again, I don't know if I'm saying it right, but it looks like porphyria. Have you heard of that? Mm-mm. It causes uh, severe blisters on the skin when you're exposed to sunlight. So wow. that was people were getting that. And so they're saying, oh, you're also a vampire. And some of the symptoms for porphyria is actually temporary relieved by drinking blood. Wow. Yeah, vampires are weird. I, it made me like them a lot more to know that it came like almost all in a nutshell. But it's then really interesting. So much is from that. During this time, we started adding, in addition to the wooden stakes, the ways to kill vampires in the 15th century. They added decapitation and burning. So we still see those in movie monster monster movies today. People actually do identify as vampires and do actually drink blood and do actually not necessarily in the way that Dahmer did, where he craved the human flesh, but. I mean, these people may, but they've decided to live lives as vampires and they find donors who will give them human blood and they just sip on it a little bit. Okay, that's mm-hmm. I, I was going along with you until the the blood part. But I remember in the 90s, I used to go to goth clubs sometimes and I went to a few places where um, people had filed their teeth. Yeah. To look like vampires. Uh-huh. And my teeth are kind of naturally like that. So, so they were down with that. So I used to get a lot that, of attention yeah. because I have those teeth. Well, you could have gone to some of their feeding rituals, which apparently are very private. No, thanks. <laughs> that was great. I loved learning more about vampires. I did too. And I feel like vampires and werewolves go together. You know, they fight each other. They fight each other in What We Do in the Shadows. For those of you who have not watched that, run, don't walk. If you guys like Jermaine from Flight of the Concords and Reese Darby, also from Flight of the Concords, you're going to fucking love that movie. But also, you'll probably just love that movie. I love Jermaine. Dear yeah. Diary. Dear Diary, I love Jemaine. <laughs> With his low voice. All right, so uh, my vampire's not as funny as werewolves, I think, I will admit. Or at least I think that the werewolves are funny. But Oh, I- funny, funny looking. <laughs> yes. Well, also because you brought up some funny things as werewolves. <laughs> it's not a werewolf. Fuck <laughs> you, Freud. You're not a werewolf. <laughs> Freud just tries to get in the middle of everything. Yeah, Freud just been ruining shit for a while, but... <laughs> He did spawn off some young, so that's okay. I mean, he came up with some interesting concepts. It's just that the science wasn't quite there, and he kind of, you know, fucked up a lot of people. Jung, everybody. He, yeah, Jung, Jung. (laughs) I dreamt I was Jung again. Nice, I like it. Thanks. All right, so that is our episode on why we're obsessed with monsters and some of the monsters that people have been obsessed with forever. Like us. Absolutely. Thank you all for listening. I hope you guys had fun. We'd love to hear about your favorite monsters. Yeah. And if anyone has any more details about Chupacabra, I want to know. Thanks for listening in. We'll see you next week. (laughs) Check out the website as usual. This is April. This is Rachel. Bye. Bye.